0: Welcome back to the wine tech insiders podcast today we're going to talk about the wine startup debate that we've, it's been going on the last little bit, uh, wine brands for sale and wine sounds and a little bit about naked wines. This is episode 37 I'd like to welcome back our insiders Lori from out Hi.
1: Nick
0: from <laughs> wine owners. Hello. And Seb from trolley who's just on audio today. <laughs>
2: Good morning, boys and girls, live from a Spanish beach for you today.
0: <laughs> okay, let's get going. So um, the debate continues. Um, there's There was another article about, um, are, are wine startups good investments? Why don't investors like them? Should they like them? Um, they make a couple of main points. Uh, they say the industry is opaque, highly regulated and exhibits few success stories. Um, A few massive players block the rest. um, And there's a lot of product complexity. You know, uh, Nick, what do you think? Is this true? Uh, Is there is there a lot of truth into that? Or um, is this just an opportunity? What's your what's your experience?
3: Well, there's definitely a lot of product complexity we all know that Um, particularly as you go a little bit further up the tree then uh, you really don't have a standardized system of um, being able to code and recognize products as you do um, you know within a classic cpg market Um, and yes there is complexity within the market in the us and yes the market is dominated from some very large suppliers in the us but, but i still think that even in the us there are gaps in the market that are un um, that are unfilled as yet i i, I there's clearly been a lot of plays around platforms uh Proby, a very good example who obviously done very well and absorbed 750 Uh, and 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 also clearly lots of activity in um in the whole sort of DTC area um so i still think that there's plenty of opportunity in the us where you're really clear about what problem is that you're solving and where you're able to um uh, realize real value as a result of that um i i think looking looking broader and looking internationally yes of course there's still complexity around around product um uh, but it's it's not rocket science it's not anything that can't be dealt with by an underlying referential database for example it's 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 really not rocket science uh, yeah. and um yeah I think I think there's plenty of opportunity in the wine spirits alcohol retail distribution um Market um uh, which remains um somewhat untapped. and um and, and I think I think investors will put money into into um, business opportunities where the case is really clearly articulated, and where it is really obvious what the value chain looks
1: like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, now, I really love what you mentioned, Nick, like. I think a lot of those articles are very centered on the US and their unique, you know, three-tier system. And I mean, can on Canada and that as well, but um, I think we need to think like more globally as well. And you just stole like my line like, like of like, oh, it is not rocket science. Like there is literally people, you know, working on like, I don't want to talk in on Musk, but like, you know, getting to Mars and everything. Like there are a complex problem that, like they have, it it needs solving like like in the case of the wine industry it's just like it's it can be solved it has its own challenges but also if there was no problem there would be also like no work for us right like like it exists an opportunity also like fixing those issues why all of us on that call exist so there is problem equals opportunity and um I think being very clear for investors or for the companies themselves the businesses just like what it is that we are solving and like the value behind it? Like, is it like the typical, like, are we just like a painkiller, which is most likely what you wanna be, or just a vitamin? Like, you know, like I think like the vitamin like place, what I mean by vitamin is like more like a nice to have, oh, it's nice to have, you know, uh, where to know where to buy this bottle of wine I'm thinking of, like, it's nice to have, is it crucial to the consumer that, I don't know, like, you know, like that's that kind of like level as well. So, yeah, um, I still think there's a lot of opportunity. But um, I think maybe one of the issues that I see as well with the wine industry is maybe, and we've discussed about that before as well, is how very insular or in its own bubble it can be because of all this regulation. And it feels maybe sometimes we are trying to, and I'm counting, you know, myself in this, like without Channery, but to something like totally wanting to reinvent the wheel when some other industries are like, well, we kind of solve that. And this one, like this adaptation or like just like, how do we make it work for our industry without necessarily like starting fully from scratch? I think it's finding that balance and maybe speaking to investors beyond maybe the wine industry um, as well. Like, I don't have the answer of the solution, but it's, it's really like, oh, there is a world of CPG that is, Massively varied on its own, and then there is wine. Wine can be totally different, but in the reg- like in you know, general consumer, I'm not talking like fine wine, or you know, at the end of the day, they buy that bottle, that bottle of wine at the Tesco, just the same way that they bought that. You know, it ends up in the same basket, right? Like 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 when they like they bring the pasta, they bring the <laughs> the pasta sauce, and they bring the red bottle of wine to go with it. So it's just kind of like interesting how possibly in the eyes of the consumer like it might not be always such a different product category seb anything to add
2: <laughs> look look i think i think it's, it's an absolutely fascinating topic because we've seen recently with pics um basically more or less you know raising the flag um the whole idea is that as a as an investor uh, if you come to me and you've just figured out a way of, of selling glasses direct to consumers As a mass-produced consumer goods, you can ship a pair of glasses, you can ship a mattress, you can ship shoes throughout the entire of the U.S. without any heavy regulation. Uh, Whereas as a business, if your aim is to ship throughout the U.S., if you want to ship wine or alcohol, generally speaking, look, you're half a million to a million in legal cost in company and subsidiaries creation costs before you can actually ship legally. Right, I mean, a bunch of wineries will ship illegally, which is fine. That's a different topic. Uh, but as an investor, the idea of having to sink half a mil to a mill in, in just the setup of the shipping capability—it's not rocket science. It's feasible. It's absolutely fine. But that's also where a lot of a lot of investors kind of go. Look, it's not really like it's not putting money to good use, right? As opposed to glasses, where you can start selling one a hundred thousand. 500,000 a million glasses very scalably wine doesn't scale as easily uh, so there is there is i think a, a number of arguments for saying look there's not that many wine businesses who have been properly funded in the American kind of definition of, you know, funding to grow, funding to build, funding to disrupt. Uh, And the sole exception in my mind would be Vivino. Uh, And if you look at Vivino and the amount of cash that they raise and where they raised it from, their primary investors are not American. They're out of of Europe. Uh, And so they do have a good presence, a good brand in the U.S., but ultimately these were investors who probably didn't really understand as much the complexity of shipping wine through the US, right? Um, so American, American investors, I do think are potentially not, the appetite for wine businesses uh, is potentially not as high as big. Uh, the opportunities, look, they're there. The challenge with the opportunities is, is in my opinion, the fragmentation. Uh, you're looking at 94 to 97% of producers uh, being small businesses. So if you're a vino of the world, if you're a naked wine of the world, if you're a business trying to sell, trying to move a whole lot of wine, you cannot talk to a single supplier. You cannot talk to you know a handful of suppliers. You need to talk to thousands of suppliers to have enough scalability in your product. Uh, so there's a number of challenges. There's definitely a number of challenges. And I do believe that there's, there's a lack of appetite towards wine-only or wine-centric businesses, primarily in the U.S., uh, and then the the capital the vc style market in europe mean, is a, is a whole different ballgame really it's a whole different level lower level
3: yeah i mean you say that but there's a lot of money that is going into all types of tech, covering uh wine and another other alcohol um businesses in the us you know a lot of it is relatively yeah. small scale maybe 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 that's a a factor um Oh, yeah. but there the is there things, is yeah, 100% you know there is a, there is an investor who is interested by the fact that it's difficult who is interested by the fact that the market is complex that is therefore interested in the in the idea that if a business is able to crack a particular set of problems that's then a very defensible position within the market because it's harder uh, than in many other sectors for other businesses to come in and compete.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're clearly clearly cracking this is is, uh, is a significant value add, right? For a business to be able to just you know sell a proposition, sell the they sell the fact that they can ship wine throughout the US, it's clearly valuable. Uh, but the number of hurdles, again, they're not impossible, but there there is a number of hurdles. And look, the subjectivity of the product. I think Laurie kind of touched on the fact that there is a significant amount of of the market who buy their wine at Trader Joe for $2.99. It's not not necessarily the most interesting part of a segment of the market, according to many of us, but at the same time, it is significant. Uh, And when you look at the goods
3: around wine. That's a CPG market, then, really, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Uh, essentially, essentially, yes, correct. Uh, and when you look at, at the raw mm. goods, not the drinks, but you look at you know, the, 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 the wine stoppers and, and the drinks, and there, there's been some, uh, I can remember one a couple of years ago, uh, a sleeve that you would put on top of an aluminum bottle and you have a full experience of the wine on the screen in the bottle, there's been a couple of consumer-driven kind of initiatives to try and help discover the wine. Uh, But none of them have been able to really scale given, again, given the subjectivity and the complexity of the product, right? If you appreciate a $10 wine, well, who's to say that it's not a great drink, you know? Um, So, yeah, look, there's there's very few examples of absolutely outstanding case studies in a wall of wine. Um, And it's it's not – I don't think investors are all necessarily dumb not seeing the opportunities, I think ultimately a lot of them have done their homeworks and it just kind of went, look, feasible, but cost-benefit, it's a bit tight. It's a bit tight. It's a passion industry, and we're all passionate about it. That's why we want to change it. Um, if there's a buck to be made out of it, great. Uh, but I think there's far more of a uh, an interest to, to into the, the industry, far more than a strong, solid, crazy, scalable business case, you know?
0: Um, Well, there was news about one one, um, startup in the wine world, Naked Wines, um, who is now a, has revenue of about 350 million pounds and a 75 million um, pound market cap. Um, They cut 6% of the workforce, um, essentially in an effort to to break even. Now, we haven't talked a lot about Naked Wines. Um, It's an interesting and started off as a unique concept. Nick, you're our local, Naked's originally, from, well, is from the UK and has moved to the US. Well, what, what, <laughs> give us your insight into Naked Wines.
3: Well, uh, you know, they've been around for a while. They kind of, I guess they started out as virgin wines and then kind of became, uh, came Naked as they sort of built out the platform and kind of conceived of the sort of idea of customers being angels supporting uh these amazing um kind of diamonds in the rough that have been that 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 were hitherto undiscovered uh, and that somehow they could fund these small independent producers and bring their wines to market in, in, in a way that would otherwise not have be been possible so the storytelling was incredible and i think it you know it's it's clearly a very compelling a, a very compelling uh business positioning uh and uh you know 350 million suggest that um you know it's it's a popular proposition so so you know that's great i mean it's and it's and it's very much a model targeting a certain group of people certain groups of people um and and with a portfolio of wines that, that are blended and designed to appeal to a um you know a um a certain set of palates so you know it, it, they're easy drinking they're round they're juicy they're full of fruit and um you know it does and, 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 they, and they do they you know that that works very well um and i guess what the numbers suggest is is that um, the cost of marketing, the cost of customer acquisition, is probably quite high, um, uh, and understandably so. Um, uh, and and clearly, there has been, I guess, a period of time where that business did pursue growth at all costs, because you know that that's implicit in in what the new CEO is is saying in that they shan't continue to pursue growth at all costs going forward which is why they are trimming some of their costs i mean we're not talking about a massive you know we're not talk- we're not talking about uh you know a bloodbath here we're talking about a, a, a an adjustment in their cost base so um yeah i uh i wish them well
0: then from an e-commerce kind yeah. of point of view what i mean what do you think is what have they done well and what what do you
2: think of Naked Wines? Look, I think I think overall the the uh, as Nick mentioned, they started out with a really interesting concept of a wine angel, where the consumer would actually quote invest money into a winemaker. The winemaker would get paid or, or partially paid to actually make and design a wine to be delivered to the angels, the the the, the consumers. Um, I think one thing they've done really well is that they quickly realized that this didn't really scale all that well uh, and started having some wines increasingly designed exclusively for naked wine. Uh, And that's how my understanding of it, that's how their their margins are probably higher than the likes of Vivino, hence why they have a significant amount of revenue, right? Because I'm not sure of the exact post-COVID numbers of Vivino. Uh, But in the 300 mil kind of a range is roughly where Vivino, 300, 350 is roughly where Vivino is at. So it basically brings Naked Wine as being more or less the same size of a business as Vivino. But Vivino is just a marketplace, a bit more scalable perhaps, uh, but also their margins would be a bit lower. Uh, as opposed to naked wine, who was able to adapt to the reality of the lack of scalability in the industry. Uh, And they've leaned onto their e-commerce and wine design exclusively for them, leaned onto their ability to sell a pretty decent story, uh, and they've just grown e-commerce sales. And I can see right now the whole sort of a a technology readjustment at large. A lot of technology companies have grown tremendously through COVID. And now they're kind of basically saying, look, the, the economy is... Okay, it's going to be a bit bumpy over the next few months, uh, and we do have some costs that we're able to cut, might as well, right? Facebook has done the same thing. Google has announced a few things as well. So everyone is more or less trying to play it a bit safer uh, than we did, you know, two, five, ten years ago.
0: Laurie, have you ever ordered from Naked Wines? or?
1: No, I haven't actually. <laughs> It's just like oh, I know I've talked to them uh and like maybe you're not a good angel. Could. <laughs> no, like a year and a year, uh, year and a half ago, and um like the conversation was already very much around like optimizing costs, which I know every business should be. But that was I was really it was really interesting how they were like doing their um their math and calculation and how precious they were with the dollars on. Um, like the photography side of things. Um, So just kind of like curious to see a little bit, uh, you know, how it's divided. And it's interesting to see that they are reducing, uh, from what I've read, like a bit like their, um, their outreach that way. That's something that we're seeing a lot because like these bigger, um, like wine, uh, wine businesses, like uh, things like First Leaf or Wink, um, you know, in the US, just like, like any, you know, really like those like marketplaces style um, businesses. It's just like well, we need to generate profit now, so like slashing or being more targeted with uh, customer acquisition um, and like the budget behind it. So that's I'm really curious to see how it's gonna maybe um, like change a little bit their approach to uh, to marketing. Uh, that's something I will be monitor monitoring quite closely, actually.
0: Well, speaking of marketing and Tubuck Chuck, which uh, you mentioned before, Seb, um, there was a great article about uh, brands and what, what wine brands are worth. Um, and if we look at the case of Tubuck Chuck, that is nicknamed after Charles F. Shaw, who was essentially a failed winemaker and had to shut down in the early 90s. Um, and his brand, his name was bought by the Bronco Wine Company, who then turned it into Charles Shaw Wines, and and that was coined by an employee of of Trader Joe's, where they were selling, they were selling it for two two dollars, and I think now it's more. But um, uh, this this is an interesting idea of the value of brands, and brands are I know important to bottle books. Uh, they're important to the wine industry. Laurie, you probably know more about brands than anybody else. Uh, <laughs> you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to, to your customers? What does it mean to to a label to have that brand? What is the value of a brand for, for a
1: wine? Uh, it's crazy important. Uh, brand branding, um, like brand recognition. You know, we see brands in the US like Josh or, you know, the one that kind of like signature um I think what's interesting is putting your own name on it. Uh is obviously as we see like a double-edged sword, and we're seeing it in the wine industry. Um, but I want to say, like, even if you go other industry, like I know it's a little bit out there, but um, in the world of cosmetic, like Bobby Brown was a famous um makeup artist that created her online, and then she sold, and now she has to create a new brand. And the Bobby Brown you know, her name again, like they're having issues with their quality control of makeup, her name's still on it, but she's not part of the company for like 10 years, you know, like she, so it's like, it's happening in the wine industry predominantly, but it's, it's also happening in other, other uh, categories. Um, I always said, for me, like when I work with clients in my design practice, I try to really steer them away from using their own name. Um, it's just because it's, often not meaningful enough to also the, the average consumer. And then when it becomes meaningful, in like in those cases, then that's when you you kind of like lose that name. So if anything, if you have to put a name on it, I would go more like in the direction of like Josh or Alike, which is actually a made up name um, that has, the, where you keep owning the story without, yeah, that would that would be something that I would be watch out for. I think where names make a lot of sense, and I think Nick would agree, is when there is genuinely a, a history behind it, and maybe history more with a bigger H. Um, you know, like just like um, past, like, we're talking like hundreds of years, or like at least, you know, like a, a real history. And there's a bit more meaning behind it than just, you know, Chateau uh in my case, kind of thing like that. It's it's very tricky, there's no no easy answer, but um, I always caution using for new brands, especially like your family name. It's a tough, tough hill to get recognized and then um, then you can cut you out. Unless of course you have Francis Ford Coppola, then your name already has another significance and I, of course I go for it. There's always exceptions to the rule. Like I'm sure Nick, you have your own point of view <laughs> on names and on, on label. <laughs>
3: Well, I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask. I mean, you know, uh, when I started out uh, my business 10 years ago and we were focused on the wine collector, we called it wine owners. So, you know, not probably the most imaginative brand creator in the whole world.
1: <laughs> well,
2: i would got to say it's interesting. Ultimately, in the world of wine, uh, when it comes to brands, uh, we're, we're not really seeing the amount of recognitions winemakers could be getting. Uh, the brands being created are usually brands creating and marketing a product, uh, especially in the U.S. Like even if it's a family name, a lot of those small wineries actually buy grapes. They buy the juice. They don't even grow the grapes. Uh, and so ultimately, there's an amount of scalability there. Uh, they use contract winemakers to design a wine to their likings or the way that they think it's going to sell in the market. Uh, so ultimately, the brand is more or less uh, the, the only value in the brand is into pulling everything together and actually selling and creating a recognizable name. Right. Uh, but look, there is no such thing as a Michael Jordan Uh, in the world of wine, where Michael Jordan has sold his name to actually sign uh, basketball balls. He sold his name to put onto jerseys. He sold his name to put it on shoes. Uh, You look at the world of celebrity chefs, where their names are being put onto gear, onto shows, onto recipe books, onto so many things. Uh, I don't think the parallel is the same in the world of wine. Um, And the story of sort of a two-buck chuck uh, I'm aware from, from distant memories that the original guy didn't want to make cheap wines and the person who ordered the entity who bought it just made cheap, affordable wines and he didn't like that. Uh, well, if you've built a business out of thin air and you're building a brand out of thin air and you're capable of just selling it because someone else is recognizing value out of it, well, kind of tough, right? You're just getting a couple of million bucks and then your name is going to be used and recognized moving forward. You might not be able to start another wine business called the same thing, but call it something else, right? I don't think it's, it's such a big, uh, a big problem using your name. And the recognizability, look, it takes time to build a family business where the name is actually being recognized. But in a world of like a small producer, uh, making you know a thousand two thousand three thousand cases uh, i can tell you for sure each and every customer recognizes the name of that winery even if it's a family name or or you know the animal the, the pet dog's name or the property name or whatever that name is um, so it's the idea the brand itself basically carries in itself no real value it's really the putting everything pulling everything together that carries value and makes, makes the brand recognizable and, and valuable. You
0: know? uh, there was also a great article about sound and wine, how sound can influence what you taste. A bunch of, um, um, a number of wineries are considering this in their tasting room and how specifically designed sounds, um, music um, to listen to while you're tasting wine. I guess it's like everything else in the atmosphere um when you're drinking um yeah does do do do, laurie do you have a favorite uh piece of music that you listen to 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 (laughs) drink wine to or is there are there memories of that does that does that ring a bell
1: like well like for me wine is enjoyed like in a social environment so i would say like more like the like the chat like the the chatter like conversations like kind of like surrounding like a, you know usually like a good meal or a good uh, aperitif um i may not be the best example but usually that's where i actually would be more spontaneous and that's why i would let spotify like typically for example, when i work i always know the playlist that i curated that i would be listening to when i go more like to like drinking and eating i'm a bit more willing Personally, to like take a gamble, and I would just search Spotify by mood and kind of then look at the. So, I guess it is sensorial. Like, I would look at the cover of the playlist that other people have curated and just be like, yeah, click this and like listen to music that I've actually never listened to. Should, yeah, I never should, thought about it. Should wineries
0: it make a Spotify playlist for every wine oh. that they have?
1: Absolutely. Like I think um, that's where bars and restaurants are actually way better at this. Um, like they often create playlists that they then um you know make available obviously for their um like for their patrons. And I'm actually even seeing it, um, there is this very um this brand right now called Fable, which does dinerware, glassware. Um, Made in Portugal, sold in the United States. It's a venture-backed company. They're they're growing really quite fast. And every month as part of the newsletter, we're talking plates and cups here, right? They will share a Spotify playlist of the moment. Here's what we're listening to when we are designing the latest cup. There's definitely like a marketing um, aspect to it. Like no, no denial um but oh we are cooking and we're listening to this but it's also such a fun way to just get attached to the brand there's a fable logo you're listening to it on spotify there's no ads it's not intrusive and i actually genuinely look forward to receiving the email because i'm tired of my own spotify playlist and the algorithm doesn't quite work so i think it could really be an opportunity there yeah I don't know if it drives like I think, I think
2: um, <laughs> you're highlighting that wine is an experience, not necessarily a product. Right? It's really an experience. And anything to augment that experience, the more the better. Right? And I agree that music, look, is wine better with a certain piece of music? I don't think so. But from a marketing and an experiential kind of angle, absolutely. Anything, anything. Look, I, I could kind of see a button on the bottle where you can listen to the song that the winemaker was listening to when they were making the wine. hundred percent. Absolutely. hundred percent.
1: Yeah. It's fun. It's just another way of connecting. And, oh, we had that in common or just, I don't know. Like it just, um, and it's non-intrusive as well. Um, not ads, it's not, but it's branded. Like I think, and it's super cheap. I mean, creating playlists on Spotify. I mean, I know Spotify, people have to pay for it, but like it's, it's also, it costs nothing. I kind of like, now that I'm finishing that code, I'm like, oh, maybe I should do an outshinery playlist and just share it, to my, you know, to my own like email list. Like it just, yeah, I may pin that actually. I think it's quite fun. I will,
3: I will, I will look out for that. That sounds, that sounds cool, Laurie. I'll, 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 uh, that'll be the highlight of my week.
0: Well, we'll share it in the next podcast, which will be back in a few weeks. Thank you everyone for listening to the Wine Tech Insiders podcast. Listen to the next one because Lori's uh, (laughs) Spotify playlist will be linked in it. I want to thank Lori. I want to thank Nick. And I want to thank Seb. We'll see you all in a few weeks.
1: Thanks, everyone.
2: Thanks, David. See you guys. Looking forward to the playlist.